Hello listeners my name is Raj Singhal and welcome to another episode of Breaking Investment Stereotypes This episode is brought to you by multipy.co where we believe that investing is an ignored life skill Our mission is to create a platform where people can come learn share and collaborate through the right tools Ultimately we want your hard earned money to work for you Here at Breaking Investment Stereotypes my job is to deconstruct world class investors or wealth managers and deep dive into their investing journey professionally personally or both i want to give a little guidance on how to use the shows none of the following should be taken as investment advice please see multiply.co/disclosures for more information my guest for today is one of india's most celebrated public market investors and educators given his penchant for to share his learning frequently Saurabh Mukherjee is the founder and chief investment officer of Marcellus Investment Managers. Saurabh was educated at the London School of Economics where he earned a BSc in economics with first class honors and an MSc in economics. In London, Saurabh was the co-founder of Clear Capital and in 2007 he was rated by the Excel survey as one of the top small cap analysts in the UK. In India, Saurabh was rated as the leading equity strategist in 2015, 16 and 17 by the Asia Money polls. Prior to setting up Marcellus, Saurabh was the CEO of Embed Capital. Saurabh is a CFA charter holder and a SEBI registered investment advisor. In 2017, upon SEBI's invitation, he joined SEBI's mutual fund advisory committee. In 2019, Saurabh was part of the expert committee constituted by SEBI to update and upgrade the PMS regulations. Saurabh has written four best-selling books: Cruise of Chaos in 2014, The Unusual Billionaires in 2016. Coffee can investing the low risk route to stupendous wealth in 2018 and victory project the six steps to peak potential Saurabh is also a fellow of Royal Society of Arts so without further ado please enjoy my conversation with Saurabh hi Saurabh i've been reading your books and listening to uh, some of your talks and while i broadly understand your investment process uh, can you briefly share for our listeners how would you describe your investment process I mean, look, Raj. It's very simple, right? What we have written in both uh, unusual billionaires in 2016, and in coffee can investing in 2018, and what we'll once again reiterate in our forthcoming book is, in India, you just have to do three things, uh, which you have to get right if you want to make money in this uh, in this vast country. One is that the first vast majority of Indian promoters are are corrupt, right? The businesses, the books are cooked. and even amongst the cleaner businesses which i would say around 20% of businesses are clean quality of management and governance is fairly fairly pedestrian so the first priority for any investor in india should be to look for a clean set of accounts believable numbers i would uh, i would uh, submit to you that there's no more than 70 such businesses in our country where the published financial statements are a reliable indicator to the quality of the franchise the second layer of what i think an investor in india has to do is recognize that this is a vast country but it's still a very poor country you know contrary to any delusions to the you know to the delusional view of superpower india and all of that it is a very poor country consistently among the world's poorest countries in the united nations is human development index and if anybody has any illusions about india being a poor country hopefully in the last 90 days the tragic events have put that to rest so so the second thing we therefore do is focuses or focus on businesses which sell the essentials of life these could be services businesses say dr lal's these could be product businesses say nestle these could be b2b the examples i just cited sorry b2c the examples i just cited or they could be b2b uh, dr vee's lab provides the essentials life of life but in a b2b context it makes 75% of the world's painkiller api right so so step one cleanliness step two essentiality and the third thing to do in india is invest in monopoly franchises we are the world's monopolized we are the world's most monopolized amongst the 10 top 10 economies in the world pretty much every product or service which is essential in india either one company or at most two companies take home 90% of the profits from that product and therefore the priority in india has to be look for companies which operate unchallenged For, for all practical purposes so these people are not these promoters are not going to come on tv and tell the world look look at me i am the monopolist it's stupid of them to do that but you and i have to therefore do the work and say not only is the promoter clean not only is the product essential 
but this company operates by and large unchallenged in its market so simple examples as every school child in india knows uh, practical terms may only one brand of adhesive sells in the country right you and i were in school when fevicol was a was a dominant franchise now that my my kids are in school fevicol is still a dominant franchise as the parent of every young baby in india knows practical terms one brand of milk baby milk powder sells in the country nestle with 97% share right and similarly in the if you want to take a different context b2b dv's lab is a monopolist in the global painkiller market 75% of the world's naproxen api is manufactured by dv's lab from its vizag uh, uh, and and hyderabad plants right so clean promoter essential products and monopoly franchises that's all we do uh, we've been doing this for 4 years we do this for the best part of more than a billion dollars now uh, there's hardly any churn in the portfolio uh, the good news is this makes us this makes us and our clients a lot of money the bad news is unfortunately no more than 30 indian businesses make the cut here of which 14 15 make it to our portfolio i wish there were i wish the investable universe was a little bigger but uh, but you know it is what it is if if there were lots of such companies i guess there'd be other fund managers who could make money like us so at one level it's a blessing in disguise so before i come to your you know various pms scheme and i i you know find them very interesting uh, you mentioned about 15 30 companies in your whatever 20 years of career has those companies been the same or have they changed uh, because you know also look for like yeah, long term so around orders, right? this this set of elite monopolists right let's call them elite monopolists by the way this set of elite monopolists 20 25 giant monopolists they account for 90% of corporate india's profitability right so the world's sixth largest economy 20 firms take home 90% of corporate profits when my colleagues and i migrated to india 13 years ago uh, the top 20 profit generators only took home a third of india's profits so imagine how transformative the last 12 13 years have been from one third of in corporate india's profits the elite monopolists now account for 90% and by the way it's similar it's very, the statistics for japan for korea are very similar and america statistics at a corresponding stage of development were very similar every single country which has developed go through goes through this what i call profit concentration profit polarization in the hands of 15 20 elite franchises everybody else is kind of a bystander in this stage of development not until not until you cross 10000 dollars for 15000 dollars per capita income do you see profit uh, profit concentration reduce right and and anybody in india who believes that profit concentration will reduce in the next 10 years i think has to be drinking something very interesting because there is no country in the history of this planet which in the journey to 10000 dollars per capita income has seen anything other than radical profit concentration and india's story is very similar to other large economies which have industrialized now how much churn is there in this there is churn so uh, if you take the elite 20 30 franchises over the course of a 10 year cycle around half will drop out and another half will jump in so for example uh, when i came to india kotak bank wasn't on this list right and kotak bank now is on this list of elite monopolists uh, when i came to india hdfc bank wasn't in the top 10 uh, of of uh, now it's number 2 on the pad generation uh, list in our country right when i came to india 13 years back companies like bhel steel authority of india were on this list they have now dropped out for i'm sure what hopefully for most listeners is obvious as to why they have dropped out so there is churn here and therefore the job of a fund manager is to understand whether uh, uh, these franchises these monopolies that we are investing in are sustainable monopolies or is there time in the sun uh, is the time in the sun behind them and that's what makes the job interesting right it, these are clean franchises essential products monopoly franchises the interesting part is to understand what drives the monopoly and how long can the monopoly sustain in most cases the companies we are investing in we have good visibility that at least the next 10 years their monopoly power will be more or less unchallenged so that's interesting actually you bring in an interesting point on per capita income and i also you know you keep telling people that you know india has a income problem actually india is not a i mean you know my friend made an interesting point that in us the income came first and then the whole tech ecosystem came later in china uh, the income and the tech ecosystem came together in india the whole tech ecosystem is already there 
but income is missing right so and and when you know we are still a very poor nation as you mentioned so uh, i think we have a long way to go and i think that's a good point you i'm not, I'm not sure that that's a problem i think that's a quite positive okay. thing right so if mm-hmm. you look at america right america 1879 1880 america was in every sense of the poor, word a poor and backward country right 1880s the railroad came to america 1890s the telegraph came to america because telegraph got invented in the 1890s 1910 the ford model t ford came and the american road network started getting built out 1910 onwards and by 1930 by 1930 the modern american economy the contours of the modern economy were american economy were there now in that 50 year period 1880 to 1930 pretty much all the american brands that we know of today right kellogg spilsbury heinz uh, wrigley's uh, uh, they were all built in that 50 year period 1880 america did not have a single supermarket by 1930 america had 500000 supermarkets so so in america technology and industrialization came together the formalization of the us economy have happened uh, together and india is going through exactly the same process through a very similar dynamic right gst low cost airlines highway network broadband connectivity and there is nothing unusual about this what we are going through is textbook formalization it's happened in taiwan it's happened in japan it's happened in korea it's happened in america there's nothing unfortunate or fortunate this is textbook economic development uh, uh, where where 15 20 25 powerful monopolists drive the development of the country they obviously do it for their selfish good but that's how development happens development doesn't happen out of charity development happens in 15 20 25 determined driven industrialists monopolists say that look i want to build something big something which dominates the country changes the country and their ambition their drive their brains drives industrialization right there's a lot of people in our country because of a socialist mindset have a very romantic notion of how development takes place courtesy government civil servants politicians it doesn't work like that it didn't in taiwan it didn't in japan it didn't in korea it didn't in america it won't happen like that in india no no that's 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 absolutely right you spoke about the monopolist and then you said that you know probably some of this monopoly will last about 10 years what are the signs one has to see in our over what yeah, period so the best way to identify a monopolist right so a lot of people mistakenly use market share as a sign of monopoly market share has nothing to do with monopoly mm-hmm. so in our country the leading airline has 55% market share does it have a monopoly no it doesn't if mm. tomorrow uh, uh, vistara or spicejet offered lower fares i would happily switch right so the best way to understand the monopoly is monopolist is that company where even if a rival comes and offers the product 20% cheaper the customer will say i am not shifting boss best <laughs> example lactogen nestle ka lactogen milk powder hmm. if tomorrow assume that abbott which is uh, abbott's product is called similac high quality product very credible product if tomorrow abbott cut their prices of similac by 20% do you think indian parents omas will shift from nan and lactogen to uh, similac have you ever heard a parent go to a chemist and say sabse sasta doodh mere bachche ke liye de do right i haven't heard that right nobody buys baby milk basis hmm. price so price has no the no dimension of the baby milk powder market is responsive to price mm-hmm. similarly the world's largest pharma companies buy their naproxen api from divi's lab if tomorrow divi's increase the price of naproxen by 20% do you think a single customer any of those mnc's will walk away they could not care less their point is divi supplies the world's purest naproxen api at the lowest cost even if the cost goes on goes up 20% the api is barely 1% of the cost of the drug on the shelves on of cvs in america right one goes to 1.2 the the american pharma company is not mm. going to miss a beat more importantly if they were to change divisa's api in their drug in their formulation they would have to go back to the fda stand in a two year queue to get the formulation pre approved it's simply not worth their while so the monopolist is that company where a rival comes in offers a product 20% cheaper and there is not a single basis point of market share lost But any company which is competing on price is not a monopolist by definition you're right so actually interesting point in both of this so in both the situation in the lactogen and even in the divis lab 
the barrier is so high because in in case of uh, baby milk i mean you know it's a very emotional thing and nobody wants to take any chance and in the case of devi's lab you mentioned about fda right who wants to wait no, so so it's not about emotion it feels like okay. that no it's there's okay. a deeper yeah. story i'll tell you some uh, other time that deeper story okay. yeah. right but let's take another example bajaj mm-hmm. finance mm-hmm. has 80% of the market for consumer durable financing in the country mm. bajaj finance is not cheap bajaj finance yep. is the highest roe nbfc in the country why does bajaj finance have 80% of the market for consumer durable financing why can't chola hdfc bank hdfc the might of these massive institutions why can't they make a dent on bajaj finances consumer durables franchise because of barriers to entry very mm. cleverly constructed barriers to entry around data science around artificial intelligence around the application of that to uh, the customers who come to chroma or vijay sales to buy their electronics similarly the nestle barrier to entry has nothing to do with emotion okay. has everything to do with very clever structuring of the of the legal legality around that product similarly divis labs uh, api uh, naproxen barrier to entry only notionally is around trust there is trust mm. there but the barriers mm. to entry are deeper and that is the skill in investing to spend 1 to 2 years figuring out what is the real barrier to entry and it mm. takes that sort of effort because if you go to meet murli devi ji or suresh narayanan ji at nestle or um uh, 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 rajiv jain at bajaj finance he's not going to say bachcha sit down let me tell you about mm. my barrier to entry he's not going to do that right so mm. you got to do the 1 to 2 years of hard work to figure out why is it practically impossible to compete with bajaj finance in several segments not all some of the segments for example i think in housing finance you can compete with bajaj finance i reckon similarly with nestle in maggi i think you can compete i think chings noodles has done a good job in competing with maggi but in baby milk powder with nestle in consumer durables financing with bajaj finance in naproxen with divis lab you cannot compete and it takes 1 to 2 years to figure it out and that's where you need to do uh, talk to ex employees competitors industry consultants regulators to get your head around the barrier to entry and it's very cleverly done it's camouflaged it's camouflaged and i think the biggest privilege of living in this country is the camouflage is one that the market can't penetrate and that's how you you load up you sit back and you watch the compounding play out over 10 20 years so their their moat also includes how to camouflage the whole thing absolutely right? it's quite important it's camouflaged yeah. in the sense that the, the average joe can't figure it out so you mm-hmm. you got the nestle one people yeah. think it's something to do with emotions right it's not much to do with emotions you simply cannot compete with nestle so tomorrow if you and i teamed up mm-hmm. and we say we got some private equity money we would find it impossible to even get a license to sell the product baby milk powder that is even if we could get the license we would not be allowed to advertise even if we could advertise no pharmacist would stock your and my product right emotions doesn't come into it we will not get into the business no license um, no advertising the channel will block you out game over so the whole thing is okay cleverly uh, you know done so let's come to your uh, pms game you know interestingly you have three offerings and one is called consistent compounders then you have a small cap called little champ and i i think you uh, recently launched another on financials called uh, king of capital how does your selection and investment approach differ if at all in each of this it's similar it's identical actually clean promoters right step one forensic accounting we've got over the last decade we've hired in 12 of india's best forensic auditors and uh, uh, we know most of india's chore promoters on first name terms they also know that we know that they are chores and it's a long relationship of knowing these people and understanding how they how they have cooked their books over many many years so first layer across all our portfolios screen out the naughty people second layer is to look for the essentiality piece so whether it is a whether it is say fine organics and little champs uh, fine organics makes the emulsifiers which go into almost all of india's biscuits and baked products right monopolist and emulsifiers so look for essential products uh, fine organics is a b2b monopoly or as we were discussing in consistent compounders baby milk powder uh, uh, consumer durable financing so look for essentiality and the third leg across all portfolios look for barriers to entry try to figure out 
right? And, and until you've figured this out, don't invest. Try to figure out why can't anybody compete with fine organics? Why can't uh, Rajkumar and Saurabh go to Parley and say, sir, I, I will tell you, I'll sell you cheaper emulsifier than Nestle. Please try us out. Why won't Rajkumar and Saurabh be entertained at Britannia or Nestle if we went with a cheaper emulsifier? Right? Why won't Rajkumar and Saurabh be entertained at Divi's lab if we went with a cheaper glass line reactor than GMM Fodler? Right? Why won't Rajkumar and Saurabh be entertained by Glaxo or by Sanofi or by Pfizer if we went with cheaper active pharmaceutical ingredients than Divi's lab? Right. So, so the third bit is the time-consuming bit. Uh, uh, whilst we have three portfolios, uh, there are some common stocks uh, across each of them. So overall, there's around 30 stocks we've invested in. Um, little Champs are the little monopolists by definition. Little Champs are the mini versions of Nestle. Little Champs are the mini versions of Peter Light, the mini versions of Divi's Lab. Average market cap in the Little Champs is a half a billion dollars, which is why the compounding is stupendous there. Unfortunately, uh, because there is very little float available in the market, last year in July, we stopped taking inflows into that. So Little Champs, uh, whoever got in was lucky to get in by last July. Uh, they're obviously making a lot of money and, and uh, it'll be difficult for us to take new monies in Little Champs for a, for a while now, for, a, for some period of time. Uh, consistent Compounders is the, is the flagship product. Nestle, Asian Paints, Pedalite, HDFC Bank, Kotak Bank, DV's lab, etc. Large monopolists, average market cap, $25 billion, uh, uh, massively powerful businesses, uh, ROC, typical ROC of 45%, uh, free cash flow, therefore, of 45 minus 15%, 30% would be free cash flow. One third of it dividended out, two thirds reinvested, two thirds of 30% is 20%. 20% capital employed reinvested by these dominant monopolists every year, and therefore, pat compounding of 20%, therefore, my clients is compounding of 20, 25% every year. So that's the flagship product that has around 5,000 crores in it now. And then in between, in between little champs, which is niche monopolists and consistent compounders, which are giant monopolists, in between these two extremities lies kings of capital, which are the financials monopolies in our country, right? So financials is a very intriguing sector, Rajkumar. In the rest of the world, right, including the city you live in, right? The rest of the economy is comparative. Say, if you look at countries like UK, France, Germany, you'll see lots of companies selling biscuits and baby milk and, and cooking oil and hair oil and paint and adhesives, right? But financial services will be monopolized. So you, the UK will have three, four large banks, three, four large life insurers, two, three large general insurers, five, six large brokerages, and that'll be it. And similarly for France and Germany. India is reverse. Our normal economy is monopolized, as discussed over the last 20 minutes. Our financial services is bizarrely fragmented. Right? We have 50 banks, we have 10,000 NBFCs, we have uh, uh, as many wealth managers, I think, as there are offices in BKC. Right? Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, 25 life insurers and so on. Now, the reason we have a bizarrely fragmented financial services industry in India is threefold. One is public sector intervention. So the government of India for 70 years has taken tax dollars and given it to public sector enterprises who have no commercial viability, but who run at the at the behest of the government of India using our, our hard-earned income tax uh, payments, right? Second is corruption, right? If there is corruption in, in, in corporate India, in lending, the corruption is magnified further, right? By collusion of, uh, of uh, 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 client auditors, uh, credit rating agencies who, who look the other way and give very generous ratings. And I also have to confess collusion of parts of my industry, the fund management industry, where fund managers work with promoters to invest in substandard lenders, right? Uh, uh, the third aspect of why we have fragmented financial services is our financial services sector itself is very, very small, right? India's household savings is around 10 trillion. And as the RBI has repeatedly pointed out in the last five years, financial savings, financial uh, savings as a percentage of household wealth is only 5%. So out of our $10 trillion household balance sheet, $9.5 trillion is in physical assets. Barely half a trillion is financial assets. This skew has no precedent anywhere in the world. The RBI has said so. The Credit Suisse World Wealth Report has said so. And, and that 5% you're including bank deposits as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, all financial assets are okay. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, So 
put it another way jeff bezos has mm. more financial assets than the whole of india put together that's interesting years. yeah now what's happening is all three of these factors are under pressure firstly because of covid the government doesn't have the money anymore to sustain 50 loss making psu banks right loss making in the sense roe is below cost of equity even for state mm. bank of india return on equity has been below cost of equity for the best part of a generation so as these psu banks slide into oblivion over the next 10 20 years the 60% market share that they have will migrate to the private sector banks and in kings of capital we are making money from that by investing in five clean well run uh, uh, dominant private sector banks the second aspect as as the naughtiness in the nbfc sector corrupt accounts pliant credit trading agencies and naughty fund managers as that is cracked down upon by the authorities right the funding supply to naughty nbfcs to bad nbfcs has been cut off there are by and large 100 prominent nbfcs in the country i'll be surprised if even 10 of these guys are around a decade hence right mm-hmm. my reckoning is the nbfc sector will polarize very sharply so lenders such as bajaj finance which has uh, which is part of our kings of capital portfolio bajaj finance's market share today is 1.5% right if a decade hence it's not 5 6 times this number i'll be astonished because as the weaker nbfcs the more corrupt nbfcs die above gain share and the third aspect the financialization aspect financialization of savings right your and my relatives friends in the country have realized that there is no great fun in buying flats and gold anymore your wealth actually depletes in real terms the more flats and the more gold you buy right and what we are seeing over the last 5 years is every time there's an exigency like demon or covid the flows into financial products life insurance health insurance motor insurance asset management pensions is increasing right it's roughly increasing at the rate of 1% a year so 5% of 10 trillion becomes 6% of 10 trillion in a year 7% so each year there's around 100 billion dollars of domestic inflows into this financial savings pot so the half a trillion pot a decade hence even without compounding should be around 1 and 1/2 trillion with a little bit of compounding it becomes 2 trillion so the savings pot quadruples i reckon in the next 10 trillion by the way it still means that a decade hence even a decade hence 85% of indian wealth will still be flats and gold but just the 10% shift i reckon will transform the insurance industry the asset management industry the wealth management industry and that's what we are participating in in india and marcellus so i i agree with you on the real estate part and we'll come to the real estate uh, question sometime later but but gold is kind of a, you know this is the only dollar hedged asset for an indian investor and actually it's helped them in in this whole i don't quite get this dollar hedge point right it's not as if the rupee is a you know some banana republic currency mm-hmm. from 91 to today we can see the rupee's depreciation is a steady 3 3.5% and the reason yep, that is the inflation differential between it is India that much so what yeah. what exactly is this big priority on hedging the rupee i've never quite got my head around it i would love mm. love it if you know you or somebody else could explain to me what is this great fascination with hedging the rupee so we'll come to this on in some other conversation uh, uh, you know i'll put no, this no, in our so raise this i have to hedge the rupee why boss i mean are you investing in zimbabwe or are you investing in india no i understand but I, as i said right well let's discuss this in some other conversation it's, it's not as if american 10 year bond yield in dollar terms is is anything other than the uh, the risk adjusted uh, equivalent in india so the indian 10 year bond yield gsec is giving you 6 and a half the american one is 2 and a half the currency risk premium is the 4 so absolutely. so i fail to understand i heard this yeah. guys for a long so, time ki mere ko hedge karna you are absolutely right i don't know why long period the depreciation is not more than 3 and a half percent exactly and right. with with a focus on india's inflation and, focus, and this is how it should come down this is a central bank which has 550 billion dollars of fx reserves so again so i think and a lot of this discussion right and one of the reasons is so much fun living in india and working here is a lot of our mindsets are legacy mindsets why do wealthy indians buy flats and gold because they and their parents grew up in an era where they couldn't trust the financial system where buying uh, uh, flats and gold was seen as a way to grow wealth not to just preserve mm-hmm. that era is gone but the mindset hasn't hmm. so even now half my neighbors will say you know ye flat dekha hai wo building ke bare mein suna hai and i kind yeah. of think these are intelligent business people why do they want to invest in flats in bombay or delhi or wherever and similarly even for people who have left india 
द माइंड सेट इज स्टिल की बस गरीब देश को छोड़ के आए भिकारी देश को छोड़ के अभी भी भिकारी होगा नो बडी टोल्ड देम दैट द सेंट्रल बैंक हैज बेस्ट पार्ट ऑफ 600 बिलियन डॉलर्स ऑफ एफएक्स रिजर्व्स so since you brought in uh, real estate let me come to that now so i i think in 2016 you probably uh, called out that you know real estate trap and and you've been talking about that are you still holding the same view i mean you know in terms of that I mean, you tell estate... me rajkumar you know, you've worked in banking if yeah. you have a country where the cost of a home loan is and this is a record low by the way cost of home loans mm-hmm. in it india is a record low yeah 6.5% 6.6% right record mm-hmm. low all time low yeah. rental yield on flats everywhere in the country is after tax 2% it is so you know unless unless there is some rampant capital appreciation which mm-hmm. is going to happen in mm-hmm. a country where affordability on flats is already stretched uh, i'm a little perplexed as to what is the business case i understand the business case for buying an affordable flat in the deep suburbs of bombay delhi bangalore because this, these are cities with large commuter commuter working uh, working class people who need a, a residence of their own and it's a very visceral need right and a, and a roof the desire to own your home own home to own your own home is a very visceral need but that's the first time buyer buying a 50 lakh 1 crore 1 and 1/2 crore flat in the suburbs of deep suburbs of bombay say borivali kandivali sarjapur and bangalore noida gurgaon but the business case for buying luxury property in south bombay south delhi indiranagar bangalore somehow beats me right i can't see the business case i can see the 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 emotional case for buying your first home affordable chota sa flat but the business so case that's not even an investment decision actually first home is not even an investment good, decision so the yeah. investment decision piece beats uh, yeah. me my reckoning is that i mean the the residential piece anybody wants to do it is welcome to do it it's their money mm-hmm. uh, there's to burn the the commercial uh, uh, real estate market my reckoning is gradually will be owned by the global pe funds and the global pension funds and we are seeing that and we are, and we are once, seeing once they do that they will own it at their cost of capital which is say 6% yeah. dollar now yeah. if an indian investor says i want 6% i want to own a, a fly, uh, i want to own an office in bkc with a rental yield of 7-8% in rupee terms they're welcome to do that but then you might as well buy a tax free irctc bond no so yeah. so so uh, it's sort of much to do about nothing in many regards i reckon and uh, you know these are the sorts of discussions i love having over a drink on a saturday evening but never quite understood how money is made out of it and then we'll have those discussion one of these days when we meet uh, let's let's come to the next part uh, you know i mean we have now access to all sort of data you know with online sources including twitter and not to forget the whatsapp university information no longer seems to be there uh and there is a problem of plenty how do you uh, how do you consume your information what's your look i don't like? have any access to social media i don't i, I know that now mobile phone. i got to realize that right you you're trying to reach me on my mobile phone my mobile phone also doesn't function uh, uh the reason i've never sort of lost too much sleep about it is uh, last i knew divis labs monopoly secrets are not on social media uh fine organics is monopoly the reason it's a monopoly is not on social media uh, so on so forth right the core of mm-hmm. makes money the core of what makes money in india or elsewhere uh, does not circulate on social media nor is it sort of you know displayed on the uh, in the annual report on page 65 in bold bold text right mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's why we've never lost too much sleep about it neither are we that fast about chatter you know what mm-hmm. is the latest view on what is the fed going to do and what is the rbi going to do what will india's next gdp print be what is the imf's view on the covid crisis in india uh, what is the you know chinese government or american government's view on the covid we've never really f- understood how people correlate these things to investing this is good sort of lunch time gossip to be had you know if we if you and i met at a coffee shop in uh, uh, hong kong but mm-hmm. it doesn't make any money so so i think a lot of people confuse chatter social media infotainment and entertainment with investing it has got nothing to do with investing it is about as relevant to investing as figuring out whether india or new zealand will win the world test championship interesting but not really uh, relevant for my day job and hence i've never really lost too much sleep about uh, having uh, not having access to social media or uh, or being any part of uh, uh, of that discourse it's a very interesting and, discourse but and you don't miss that at all i mean i mean you've not been there so i think 
I, I've got enough to read and enough to do. So you know, it's all right. Okay. Yeah, life goes by. I know. <laughs> True. Uh, given the fact that you know markets are considering a markets, is, it's supposed to be a discounting machine, right? I mean, you know, and, and you spoke about many of those big companies like Nestle and, and Asian Pains. But they continue to outperform Nifty over a sustained period, uh, even when they are trading at such a high valuations. What is your thought on you know valuations and you know some of these are trading at six, seven, 80 p. How does one look at that? Not on this, I don't even look at the p multiples. So a lot of people okay. tell me they, a lot of people mm. are far better informed than me on these subjects. So mm-hmm. they say this stock is at sixty. Somebody else says eighty. Somebody else says hundred. And I find it very interesting. The same company, the same company at the same point in time. Three different people will give me three different PE multiples. <laughs> Ask myself, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, Hindu philosophy question. What is the PE multiple of Nestle's mm. at, at this point in time? Also, a lot of people don't seem to agree upon. But, but uh, the reason we don't worry about these things is as follows: the job of a fund manager is not to sort of say that Nestle's PE multiple today is X and it should have been Y. Right. And, you know, X versus Y is a delta of so and so. And let me make an investment call on it. That is not the job of a fund manager. The job of a fund manager is to say, how long can Nestle's monopoly sustain? That is the single one line mandate of a fund manager. How long can Nestle or Divi's Lab or Bajaj Finance or Pedalite or Asian Paints' monopoly sustain? And this answer, this question, and this answer is of immense significance because if a franchise can grow cash flows at 25% for the next five years, but no more than that, I'll happily pay 25 times earnings. If the same franchise can grow free cash flow at 25% for 15 years, I can still make money paying 80 PE for it. And if the same franchise can grow free cash flows at 25% over the next 25 years, even if I pay 250 PE for it, I'm still going to make return on equity, return on my money above my cost of my capital. Right? Now, is Nestle's franchise or Pedalite's franchise or HDFC Bank's franchise or Bajaj Finance's franchise, are these going to sustain their monopoly strength for five years, for 15 years, for 25 years? Right? That is the sole purpose of a fund manager's existence. It is not to second guess the COVID wave, the 1Q earnings, the FI22 earnings, or the PE multiple. The sole job of a fund manager is to make a call on the longevity of the barriers to entry. And to make that, to answer that question, my colleagues and I, 15 of us who work in the investment team, need to spend one to two years to answer that question. We appreciate there are people far brighter than us who can answer this question in 15 days rather than the 15 months it often takes us. But we are happy with that. We don't have a problem. If they can do it in 15 days, good for them. They can make plenty of money in our country. But this is this is modern investing. A decade ago, this piece wasn't as essential because a decade ago or 13 years ago when I came to India, it was such an underdeveloped market that people didn't even read the annual report properly. Right? Today, people do read the annual report. I could argue we read a few more than them, but most people, most investors by and large do read the annual report. Therefore, if you want to make money, you're only going to make money around 20 to 30 stocks in India, right? Uh, that li- your list would be different from my list, Raj, but mm. the data is very clear. No more than 20 to 30 stocks in this country with 6,000 stocks will make you money. How long will those franchises sustain is the question that each of us is trying to answer. And our call on Nestle, just to be clear, our call on Nestle is that the monopoly can sustain comfortably for the next 20 years. So whatever Nestle's PE multiple is, even if we bought it at 3x that PE multiple, we would still comfortably generate uh, a return on our investment well above the cost of our equity. Okay, interesting. So you never make any uh, decision on sizing the position based on, or valuation doesn't matter at all, as you said, and you never change so, your so sizing of the position? This is what I said. What should we size on? Should we size on valuation? Or should we size on the on the length, the sustainability of the franchise. And we do okay. the length. There are people okay. cleverer than us uh, mm-hmm. uh, who size on valuation. I still haven't figured out how they do it. How do you size on valuation? I still haven't figured mm-hmm. out. You say it's only 20% overvalued, so I'll buy less of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you say it's only it's 
20% undervalued. So I'll buy less of it. I never quite got, got around my head around. I, never, I haven't read anything sensible either. We've tried to figure it out, but our reckoning is a simpler way to go about it is size on the, the large, the deeper the monopoly, the, the, the higher the barriers to entry, the greater the position size. So Asian paints in most of our portfolios has uh, a double digit position sizing. Typically in our portfolios, the top four stocks will account for 40% of the portfolio. And these four stocks tend to be unchallenged monopolies. So in paints in India, it is not possible, hasn't been for the last 40 years, unlikely to be for the next 20 years to challenge Asian paints. You can be whoever you want, the world's largest paint company, India's largest paint, India's largest corporate, feel free to come and challenge Asian paints. Uh, 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 it will not be practical. You'll not be entertained at the paint and hardware stores in our country. And if they don't entertain you at the paint and hardware stores in the country, you're not going to enter the living rooms of, of Indian households. So therefore, so, to understand to understand that took us the best part of a couple of years, and Asian paint therefore is a double-digit allocation. Go on, Raj. Yeah. So while we spoke about some of the great companies, and uh, do you want to bring in any name where uh, your own thesis of the you know the metrics you've been using uh, got challenged by you guys itself, and you found that something which has changed, and you want to change your position? Any any names you want to bring in, and what what happened, or what what did it bring in? If you're comfortable talking about it. I've spoken about, so far I've spoken about uh, every company I've spoken about are companies in our portfolio. So, so there are three reasons why we sell, right? None of them have anything to do with valuation. Uh, I'll quickly summarize the reasons why we sell and then I'll try to give an example uh, of a stock that we have sold. So the yeah. first reason we sell is when we see naughtiness, right? So our, as, we, as I've said at the outset, our corporate community is sort of drowned in a very corrupt ecosystem. And what we have seen, unfortunately, is even the cleanest of Indian corporates, even the cleanest of promoters gets tempted to steal money. And often we see when we do the, uh, the forensics, uh, even on our portfolio, we continue doing forensics. We, said that pro we see that the promoter has stolen 5, 10 crores, right? And, and we obviously have a chat with him or her. And if we can't understand his point of view, we exit, right? Second reason we exit is, is capital allocation. By definition, uh, these monopolies that we are investing in, the return on capital is 35, 40, 45, average 45%. Free cash flow, therefore, is 45% minus the cost of capital, around 30% of capital employed is free cash flow. And because these franchises generate so much free cash flow, often they misallocate capital. And that's when we sit down and have a chat. It's to, you know, please tell us what are you thinking here? We are not being able to follow your thinking. And again, if we can't get on the same page as the board or the promoter on capital allocation, we check out. And the third reason is succession planning. A lot of these very successful franchises, the promoters are now north of 60 years of age. Often, you know, um, they've, you know they've ascended up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They're no, no longer focused on wealth. They're now focused on spirituality, charity, et cetera, et cetera. So they tend to abdicate control in favor of their sons and daughters. And sometimes we find that the sons and daughters are not up to the mark. At which point we again engage with the promoter and say, you know, sir, your franchise, if you're not interested in running it, uh, please let us know because we don't want to be then involved in owning shares. Right. So just to sort of side, and these are obviously all of, all three sets of conversations are difficult conversations. And we think it's part of our job to have those. We're not here to, you know, uh, make friends with the promoter community. Our job is to manage money for our 6,000 clients. And if that, that means having difficult conversations, then so be it. Right. And then one has these conversations in a polite, uh, 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 hopefully cordial setting. And, uh, and, and if the conversations work out and our, uh, and our uh, franchise benefits, our, 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 our investee companies benefit, so be it. If it doesn't, you know, there's plenty of other investors that these companies can quote, uh, life moves on. So just to sort of give an example, uh, ITC in many regards fits all of our criteria, right? It's, uh, as we know, it's essential, cigarettes are essential, it's an unchallenged monopoly in cigarettes. There really is no competitor for all practical purposes. It's a giant cash machine and we were ITC shareholders for a long time. Where we couldn't sort of see the logic uh, of, of how ITC was functioning was in capital allocation, right? So they had, uh, uh, they had the best part of 40,000 crores on their balance sheet a couple of years back. And we used to highlight that in our newsletters. So to give them a lot of credit, to give ITC a lot of credit, they reached out and they said, come to Kolkata, let's have a chat. And we went to Kolkata, Jan 2020, we went to Kolkata, had a long chat with them. 
we explained our concerns about the capital allocation to hotels, about the 65% payout ratio rather than 95%, and the 40,000 crores lying on the balance sheet. They uh, they said they, they told us that they've heard you. You know, we'll now do whatever we think is appropriate. Again, to give more credit to them, I think it was April 2020, uh, just the month after COVID hit the country hard. April 2020, ITC announced that they were going to increase the dividend payout ratio from 65 to 95%. And we said, you know, big tick. Then I think May 2020, they further said that incremental capital allocation to hotels is going to stop. So we said even bigger tick. But in their AGM last year, June, I think it was June last year, they said that they were only going to do a 5,000 crores buyback, which meant 35,000 crores would stay on the balance sheet. And we couldn't quite see the logic of that. We had another brief chat just to make sure we hadn't misunderstood them. But once we realized that the surplus cash was going to sit on the balance sheet rather than being deployed to grow EPS, we felt it was best for us to check out. So July last year, uh, we, we, we sold our ITC. So it remains a great monopoly. I, my reckoning is the stock will compound at around 15%. But our job is to compound for our clients at 20%. Uh, most of our clients don't pay fixed fees. Uh, most clients, we charge only performance fees. And therefore, for us to uh, uh, earn our performance fee properly, we need to compound at 20% at a minimum. And if we feel a franchise is not going to get us to 20% compounding net of fees, we tend to uh, uh, sell that stock. So interestingly, ITC uh, has got a maximum number of memes made on, on at least on Twitter. I see that, you know, this is, this is the whole Twitter community is divided in ITC where so much fun is being made. I wouldn't know. I'm not on Twitter. I wouldn't know anything about Twitter. <laughs> Uh, interestingly, on the forensic part, uh, you mentioned, and you know, you you said you have, you have access to a team as well. Uh, is it is it a big boys game, or even a retail guys can do some basic check? I think you do have to be a chartered accountant, and mm -hmm. I think the Indian CA qualification is extremely high quality. Right, I've, I've worked with British CAs before. I think the Indian CA qualification is amongst the best in the world. Uh, so we are uh, in sort of in financial jargon, we are long on Indian CAs big time. Uh, every year, we make it a point of hiring two or three super bright CAs, chartered accountants into Marcellus. Um, can someone sitting at home do it? Yes, I think an intelligent amateur investor can do it. You obviously have to read up on accounts. So read Howard uh, Financial Shenanigans by Howard Shillett, uh, uh, by far the best forensic accounting book, I, I believe. If you can, if you're lucky enough to get a copy of Terry Smith's uh, Accounting for Growth, it's out of print. But if you're one of those fortunate people who can get a copy of Terry Smith's uh, Accounting for Growth, read that as well. Um, uh, uh, we, we put on our website free of charge, plenty of webinars, several of which are on forensic accounting. We have separate webinars on fraud accounting for lenders. Uh, there are presentations on our website. So uh, I think intelligent, inquisitive amateur investors can also do a good job on forensic accounting. Um, uh, but it helps to have a good, uh, good an Indian chartered accountancy or any country if you're a British chartered accountant. But I think it's an essential aspect. If you can't read annual reports and you can't figure out how the promoter is stealing money, uh, you're creating a big challenge for yourself if you're doing amateur investing on stocks in India. Now, is there a case that a good business may not be a good investment? And if so, are there examples? I don't really understand this piece, right? I don't understand. Talk about it. it. Sounds very erudite to say good business okay. investment. Uh, I've also heard that a lot, I've heard a lot of people in India say, "To everything there is a price," and I've never quite <laughs> understood how do you put a price on honesty, integrity, uh, talent, barriers to entry, right? Because they're all derivatives of the same thing: mm -hmm. honesty, integrity, barriers to entry, talent, deep comparative advantages, world-class intellectual property. Uh, but, you know, to each their own, if somebody believes that everything has a price, they're welcome to that view. Who am I to challenge them? No, so I'll, I'll bring an example of, uh, you mentioned airlines, right? So say Indigo, which has got about 55% market share. Yeah. Is it a good business? I don't know. I mean, the way we've seen it is the basic assessment should be, does return on capital exceed cost of capital? Uh, okay. I haven't seen any airline, mm. uh, any airline, any steel company, any telecom company, any real estate developer, generate a return on capital above cost of capital. Now, you know, I'm not a CA. I'll put my hand up and say I'm not a CA, I'm a CFA. Mm. But I learned in my level one of CFA that free cash flow 
is the basic basic reason for investing in a franchise if you cannot deliver return on capital above cost of capital in any 10 year cycle and by the way uh, uh, you know i hope your podcast is widely listened if anybody yeah. out there anybody out there can show me one airline company one telecom company one steel manufacturer or indeed metals more generally let's include aluminum as well uh, and one real estate developer which in a sing in any 10 year cycle has generated return on capital above cost of capital i would love to know that because there will be a you know big learning for us as well we haven't found that in india which means that these sorts of franchises cannot create free cash flow if they cannot create free cash flow i fail to understand on what basis can i buy these shares so you mentioned about devis which is you know very competitive on a global scale on api and uh, so that one name you mentioned are there other businesses in listed space in india which is got well, some sort of this is one of the reasons why living in india is so much fun so what were india's historical issues right india's historical issues were our infrastructure was poor still is poor it's less poor than it was 10 years ago but our infrastructure still is obviously nothing compared to forget china even countries like indonesia thailand are probably ahead of us on infra second issue was uh, cost of capital was high and third issue was cost of labor was high right mm. uh, uh, even the state i live in maharashtra the minimum wage is thrice that of bangladesh now what's happened in the last 7 8 9 years is the rise of businesses driven by intangibles by intellectual property mitigates all the three issues i just mentioned right so devis is a great example of that so is fine organics so is garware technical fibers so increasingly what we are finding is indian companies with 60 70 80% global market share no competitors anywhere in vicinity and and we are the only joes in town loading up big time on these stocks right and and this is this 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 feature of franchises like garware like uh, uh, gmm fodler uh, like divis being global leaders right garware technical fibers has 70% of the global market for salmon aquaculture nets uh, uh, gmm fodler has 55% of the global market for glass lined ceramic reactors in which pharmaceutical products are made right uh, divis as i said 75% of the global market for naproxen in fact more generally out of the world's top 20 apis divis is the world leader in nine out of top 20 right wow. now this all of this and and there's plenty more to come in this regard right as as intellectual property intangible assets becomes the main driver of wealth globally this is playing right up india's alley because it deemphasizes the the our inadequacy in physical infrastructure it deemphasizes our labor market issues and it uh, mitigates to a significant extent our high cost of capital and that's why right uh, 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 it's so important to look for companies in india where beyond the physical assets on the balance sheet the main driver of competitive advantage is intangibles and bajaj is an example of that nestle is an example of that asian paints is an example of that hdfc life insurance is an example of that dr lal path labs is an example of that right so if you look at microsoft right massive company i think on microsoft's balance sheet physical assets is only 3 billion dollars <coughs> nobody really invest in microsoft because of their campus in seattle i hope they invest in microsoft because of intellectual property you invest in divis lab or gmm fodler or fine organics or asian paints or hdfc life for much the same reason it's just that if i tell you that you and i invest in microsoft and google because of intangible assets people will say ha boss bilkul Mm. But if I tell you you invest in Asian paint because of intangible assets, there'll be a blank look on the person's face. Consa intangible asset. Mm. That's where that's where doing the hard work and figuring out the intangible assets which drive Asian paints' franchise becomes so central to making money in India. Interesting. So you know, the last decade, uh, and I think I I heard you as well that you mentioned uh, Nifty earnings have been probably zero uh, in the last ten years, uh, and the returns also probably very low in terms of the dollar for sure. uh how does the next decade and you brought in some of the interesting right. part how does the yeah, next decade look like that is true but it has no relevance for me i'm okay. not investing in nifty i have zero interest in nifty for the reasons mm. we discussed right at the outset yeah capital allocation corruption right india's india's nominal gdp growth over the last 10 years has been around 10% right i mean whatever skepticism mm. your listeners might have on india's gdp accounting at least i hope they'll believe 
that the yep. country's nominal GDP growth has been 10%. Mm. Almost all of that upside has gone to 20 champion monopolists. The Nifty has not benefited because, as you rightly said, Nifty EPS growth across 3, 5, and 10 years is zero. Mm. The Indian monopolist CPS growth across 1, 3, 5, and 10 years is 20%. Mm. Right? So the Nifty has nothing to do. Investing in the Nifty, right? I hope your listeners understand this carefully. Investing in the Nifty has nothing to do with making money in India. And if anybody listening to this is crazy enough to invest in a tracker fund and gain exposure to India like that, God save you because the bulk of your money is going towards promoters who care zero about capital allocation and have no competitive advantages. So when you look at the next 10 years, you, you still look at so Same basically paradigm. you're more bottom up. The strong will get stronger. The monopoly, as we discussed at the beginning of our conversation, these monopolists are already occupying 70-80% market shares. By the time the decade is out, they will account for 90-100% market shares in many industries. And as you rightly mentioned or alluded to five minutes back, in several cases, they're taking their monopolies global. They're taking their monopolies global on the on the strength of their intellectual property, not on the strength of their physical assets. Physical assets, I don't think we can compete with countries like China, uh, 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 but on intellectual property, uh, in especially sectors like pharma, spec chem, uh, specialty chemicals, light industrial manufacturing, we can hack it in intellectual property. Basically, anything to do with process in the process chemistry and industrial engineering, we are capable. And that's where, after dominating India, these franchises are increasingly growing global. Unfortunately, these franchises form no more than 30% of the Nifty or okay. whichever global index you're using, MSCI, uh, India or whatever. And therefore, if you are one of those people who seeks exposure to India via a tracker fund, it'll be tough for you to make, to benefit from the monopoly paradigm in our country. So let's bring in the behavioral aspect, right? I mean, because, you know, as they say, investing is a lot more about behavioral as well. And, and you know, uh, I think I read from one of your books as well that we, you know, we regret losses to two, two and a half times more than the, the gains, right? And patience is a big virtue and said so because it's missing in many people. So what do you, what's your thought on, since you, you know, read and write a lot, uh, you have any uh, thoughts on- I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't reached that level of evolution where I can self-analyze okay. myself behaviorally. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a we have a uh, uh, we have a, a, a counselor, a, a psychologist who who helps us discuss uh, behavioral issues. But uh, uh, I'm not so self-evolved that I can critique uh, my own uh, uh, my own uh, behavioral biases. And clearly, uh, as you would have made out over the last hour, I have several biases about how to invest. What we have tried to do uh, is create a team where everybody shouts loudly and punches quite hard so that whatever biases you know the 15 of us have in the totality the biases uh, at least get muted if not completely subsumed right not, not completely submerged so if you create a lala franchise if i create a lala franchise anybody creates a promoter ji ka lala ji ka franchise obviously there's a greater risk that the behavioral biases become very prominent because we are all human we are all frail we're all fallible but by creating a franchise where a, a broad group of people with differing views, different preferences, different behaviors, uh, you create less risk of bias driving, behavioral bias driving investing. Interesting. So, since so, you know, our show is called actually uh, Breaking Investment Stereotypes. Uh, any stereotype uh, which comes to your mind, which, you know, in your journey of investing, you've broken or you want to share with our listeners? No, I get told by a lot of people that. For a Bengali, you speak very good Hindi. So mm -hmm. I don't quite know what how to respond to that. Uh, okay. Feel like saying. Uh, I have quite a few friends actually of Bengali and who speak very good Hindi. So, the, uh, so, yeah. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I think everybody, a lot of people in our country still think in terms of, a lot of people in our country still in terms of Madrasi, Punjabi, Bengali. So, you know, they're welcome to think like that. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I think uh, the more such categories we create in our mind, uh, uh, the more meaningless barriers we uh, uh, impose in our mind. And similarly, there are other people who say, well, I thought FII's are better investors than domestic investors or there are other people who think vice versa. Mm -hmm. So the less, the less uh, one tries to, uh, the less one tries to uh, create, you know, archetypes, stereotypes in one's mind, the easier it is as 
Daniel Kahneman so beautifully points out in that book, right? Thinking fast and slow. The reason we create stereotypes, racial stereotypes, religious stereotypes in India, caste-based, language-based stereotypes, is because it, it's a heuristic which helps us deal with day-to-day -day life. It might have worked 50 years ago, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, it doesn't work uh, anymore, right? Uh, the more stereotypes one gets into, uh, I think the, the less useful uh, one's brain becomes. So we're coming to the last part of our podcast and I'll, I'll bring in some of your personal elements here. Uh, so how would you describe yourself, you know, if you take out your persona of a uh, hotshot fund manager? No, I think the way I'll describe myself is the way I, my wife uh, describes me, a sort of geek who reads nonstop and uh, has an opinion on every planet, every subject under the sun. Okay. So since you brought about the reading, uh, uh, you know, do you want to give some book recommendations for the audience? What are you reading nowadays and which one do you like? Also, more importantly, how do you do you journal your thoughts? Because that's what I, I've been finding a lot of problem with me. I, mean, I read, right. can't read too long. Every Sunday we publish, uh, anybody who's listening, you can sign up. It's easy. Go to marcellus.in. Every Sunday we publish uh, the six best reads of the week from across the whole team. Around 25,000 people subscribe to it. It's free. There's no, we don't charge money for this. So if you go to our website and uh, just go to go to uh, uh, one of the newsletters or blogs and you'll see a pop-up, put your email address there and you'll get our three longs and three shots, 7 a.m. Indian time on Sunday. So every week the team collates whoever's read the best pieces, we collate in one place and we send it out to the whole world. That's our way of journaling, I guess, Rajkumar. And um, you know, especially through this lockdown, we've tried to read uh, a book a week. It's been a lot of fun doing that. Um, we try to publish a book every alternate year, and uh, and uh, and that keeps us sort of you know writing plenty because if you know you have to publish a book, you know every alternate year you you know have to you have to do some degree of writing every week. Uh, for each of our three funds that you mentioned, Little Champs, Consistent Compounders, and Kings of Capital, there's a newsletter every month. So that means there are three newsletters for three products every month. So there's a fair bit of writing which happens. We found writing to be very useful. It helps you uh, build your neural networks. It helps you journal, catalog your thoughts. It helps you spot flaws in your thinking. The more you write, the more uh, gaps in your thinking you're able to spot. Uh, and in terms of books to read, um, uh, obviously, if anybody's interested in uh, whatever we've written, Gurus of Chaos was my first book, 2014, about the six fund managers who taught me the most in India. Uh, it was my little Guru Dakshina too. People like Naren, people like Sashi Reddy, People like Manjunath Ji, people like K.N. Siva Subramaniam. 2016 was Unusual Billionaires, about the six or seven franchises uh, which shaped our thinking on monopolies, right? Uh, I think it, uh, it's now, I think, in its third edition. Um, if the audible version has been made available free of charge to you, courtesy, I guess, the kindness of Mr. Jeff Bezos. 2018 was Coffee Can Investing. Uh, that's how we created a wealth management construct for the average person who might not be able to afford our services. So coffee can investing is how do you build your own portfolio, your own wealth uh, over your working life without you know hiring expensive uh, fund managers and wealth managers. Um, that's, I think, gone on to become the largest selling personal finance book uh, uh, written by a brown person, right? Because a lot of Indians have this fascination. If it's published in America, they immediately have to read it. But if it's published in India, and I never quite understood that, but anyway, to each their own. Um, we're hoping to publish our next book uh, this summer. Uh, uh, you know, COVID permitting because uh, even our publisher has been hit hard by COVID. So COVID permitting, hopefully our uh, next book will come out this summer. Uh, more generally, um, uh, uh, the books that I, you know, I've learned a lot from was uh, Roger Lowenstein, his book on Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist. I felt that was a, that's the best biography. I think that's been written on Buffett, Roger Lowenstein, The Making of Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist. Um, I think Daniel Kahneman, thinking fast and slow, uh, enormously useful. And if you focus on India, right, books on India, where you can learn a lot about the country and, and you can develop a, a very differentiated view on the country. Uh, three books that I think stand out. Uh, first is uh, uh, V.S. Naipaul, India, A Million Mutinies Now, uh, published in 1990. Uh, uh, I read it when it was published in 1990. Uh, I read it once every 10 years. And every time I read it, it still feels like it was written yesterday morning, right? 
then Ramachandra Guha, uh, India After Gandhi. I think an essential book. I think every every Indian should read that book as to where our country was in that first five years, 10 years, 20 years after independence and how how far we have come. Anybody who sits out there outside India and is trying to hedge the rupee, you certainly should read Ramachandra Guha, India After Gandhi. You probably benefit more from reading a broker's report on the dollar rupee forecast. And I think the third book, uh, 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 it's, it's formally written by Sunil Khilnani ji. Uh, it's called Incarnations, India and 50 Lives. Although it's formally written by Sunil Khilnani ji, uh, who's a professor uh, of Indian history in London, um, I reckon it's actually written by Manu Pillai, who I think uh, is the best young writer in India today. Uh, he's written several superb books, but I think Incarnations, India and 50 Lives is just simply sublime. If you don't like reading, you can go to the BBC website and there's a podcast. There are, I think, uh, 10 podcasts on the BBC website uh, uh, on the 50 Lives, right? Beautiful podcast. Um, I think ideal for a Sunday evening with a glass of something nice uh, to drink rather than you know, listening to some financial news uh, podcast rather than listening to me <laughs> about investing in India. Uh, thanks. Uh, this is a question we ask every, uh, you know, uh, every guest. Uh, what will be your advice to your own 20-year-old uh, self? I think advisably formal education counts for zero. Zero formal <laughs> education. <laughs> Don't worry about your credentialing and this qualification and that education and this degree. It gives you entry ticket. Nothing, yeah. It gives you nothing. It just gives mm -hmm. you false sense of false sense of entitlement, mm. and it's deeply damaging. Uh, this whole notion that you know go to this university, that university, uh, it's the kind of most useless form of credentialing that I think we follow. And I I did it. I have to confess, and I, I I'm the poorer for it, having spent most of my youth in this mis mistaken notion. Mm -hmm. that the prestige of the university you go to somehow has some bearing on your life and is a reflection of you. It isn't. Um, uh, uh, and I think it'll be, it'll be even clearer 10 years hence. I think for my children's generation, the notion that formal education somehow contributes to making you the person that you become, I think will be increasingly challenged. In our lifetime itself, we will discover that what we learned in university uh, actually means for counts for very little. Um, and, and those developing those habits around learning, reading, learning nonstop will become far more important. Um, I wish I had, I had understood that when I was 21 rather than when I was 41. Um, thanks. So I think this is a, uh, it's a great conversation we've had, Saurabh, and, you know, really I thankful to you. Uh, I really enjoyed it and I'm very sure our listeners are going to enjoy it as well. So really nice talking to you. And we, of course, owe to each other another discussion over a cup of or, or a glass of something interesting uh, on, on for sure on the real estate. Apple juice will also suffice, Rajkumar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Saurabh. My pleasure, sir.